It's episode 47 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today is J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. And, you know, J.P., a couple weeks ago, I told you how I helped Ryan move. Yeah. You know, and he moved to a place that's down near the lake. And yeah. and the idea was always you don't need air conditioning down by the lake because <laughs> the lake keeps it cool. Yeah. Not when it's 90 degrees and humid. Nope. It is a sauna in this place. And we had to turn all of the air conditioners off because of the uh, the noise they were making. So we are sweating it out. For, I was going to say, for our dear listeners, we are optimizing your audio quality yeah, by J- sweat. J- JP can see what looks like a couple of Greeks in a sweat bath here. <laughs> <laughs> just just Ryan and I it's sitting a, here. It's with, a schwitz. Yeah, I mean, we're, just, we're, we're just sitting here with towels on and nothing else. <laughs> so... Hey, uh, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKETailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKETailgate. Our ball and glove level patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, so we got another one coming up soon, right? Yeah, we think maybe this week, but depends my, with the holiday. Depends with the holiday. Yeah, that's throwing a little crimp in the plans, but it'll be soon, late in the week or early next week, or next week sometime. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. Turn, turns out, uh, my mom's birthday is also on America's birthday, so I have I go go back home to. Uh, actually, we'll be going home to celebrate my mom's birthday, but just so happens that everybody in the entire state will also be giving fireworks to celebrate my mom's birthday. Happy birthday to America Breen. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by carbon four brewing from dragon flute to block party to fantasy factory IPA. K four specializes in English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades on Tuesday, July 3rd, carbon four is tapping a special white grape and Oak barrel condition belly bongos. Excited for that one. Wait, so it's the belly bongos, but with oak barrel cast white, conditioning? W- yeah, white grape and oak barrel. Uh, yeah, so like all the melons we had talked about in the past episodes, you, plus... The listeners are really missing it on Steve's <laughs> dance here. That was... Your melon dance was quite the, the yeah. thing. Oh, and then they'll also have their famous deviled eggs back for the day. Ryan, oh, that's a thing. Eggs? I'm not a deviled egg guy, now. See, I wasn't sure. That seemed like something you were either going to love or hate. Nah, no, I no, no. You always surprise me. I'm not eggs generally. Anti egg, whatever. That's not the point. Go get their special deviled eggs. That'll be fun on July 3rd, and then on July 4th, uh, they are open, and it'll be specials all day on America AF. So that one's available. Yes, go Which, get it. That one I'm still looking for, hoping to see that one around. Yeah, that one's packaged, right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyways, you can head over to the Carbon 4 Brewery on Kinsman Boulevard if you're looking for it. No? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Go there. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's a little bit of a commute for us Milwaukeeans, but... Hey, we got a holiday coming up, so... It's true. You got a little extra time. So head over to the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard, uh, and you can also take part of the Independence Day festivities. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer, brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so I guess the the highlight of the week, the lowlight highlight, was all the injuries? I mean, yeah, just one after another after another. Or the news. I mean, yeah. It's been the, the primary thing the Brewers have uh, been dealing with was uh, Lorenzo Cain goes on the DL. Right. And he then, goes on the DL, and he should be coming back. I think he's eligible to come off of it. The, the prognosis on that was really good, right, Brian? Like they said. Yeah, he was, they're saying he's probably going to be back on Wednesday. Okay, and that's as soon as he's eligible. Yeah, I think he was doing, he was doing like sprints or something this weekend. And he wasn't having issues, yeah. Yeah, so he should be back soon. Um, but then they've also had Kristen Yelich, Ryan Braun, Travis Shaw have all been Yelich kind of Braun flirting. Are, right, not on the DL, but have missed games. They're flirting with whether or not to go on the DL. Braun played the final game against 
the Reds. Yeah, he left early on Friday. You could see he was kind of wincing through having some issues running. So they pulled him, and then he missed Saturday's game and then was back for Sunday. But Yelich has still been out. and But that also doesn't sound like it's going to be a long-term thing. They're just being careful, which, you know, smart but annoying. Yeah, JP, how much of this is just uh, the, the all-star break is in sight, so they're kind of figuring let's not push guys, let's get to the break, get everybody healthy, and be ready for the second half? Well, I think that's partially it. I've been surprised how reluctant they've been to put certain guys on, on the DL, but I think a lot of it is these injuries are they're, they're injuries that could get better very, very quickly. I mean, they're, but with somebody like Christian Yelich with his back injury there, he could be out for another half week still. And we look stupid for not putting him on the DL, especially when you've got somebody like Brett Phillips that you could bring up that does have big league experience that has the ability to contribute uh, and can play quality defensive outfield. Um, you know, there, there are limits to to what, you know, I guess playing it smart while not putting guys on the DL can do for you. Um, because, I mean, we've seen it with Travis Shaw. Yeah, he's been able to play, but it's not about whether or not you can actually put the spikes on. It's whether or not you can actually be effective when you're doing it. And Travis Shaw, you can tell at the plate, does not feel comfortable. Um, he doesn't have the strength in his wrist. They said it, it kind of changes day to day. Um, but it's it's a really tough situation. And I don't necessarily know whether or not it's been a good decision to be able to play it as a wait and see with all of these guys. Um, but, I mean, obviously, then if if somebody is healthy and then they have to sit on the DL for another five days, then that looks foolish, too. So you kind of you lose either way. But uh, it's been a tough situation to have so many of those types of injuries at the exact same time. Has this front office seemed as hesitant to put guys on the DL as it seems? Seemed as seems? Yeah. It's okay. There's this. There's this idea that they're really hesitant to put guys on the DL. They haven't been as aggressive as some yeah, teams they, like the they, Dodgers. Yeah, a lot of teams. Right you know, it got changed to a ten day DL, and 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 they don't have a problem um, putting guys on there. Where the Brewers still seem to wait as long as possible to make that decision and try to avoid it as much as possible. But that's a fan perception. Is it true in any way? I think it actually seems to be true to me without being able to have any numbers and look at it. I think it seems to be true for position players. Uh, I don't think it seems to be true for pitchers at all. I think for pitchers, they're actually pretty quick to put people on the DL. Yeah, as soon um, as there's any sort of issue, it's straight to the DL. I mean, whether it's Matt Albers, whether it's Zach Davies, like even this year, we've seen as soon as somebody has any kind of issue and they're a pitcher, they put them on the DL. They don't, they don't mess with that. Um, and I think part of that is because they have so many arms in AAA that they're expecting to basically be able to shuttle guys in and out anyway. So it's not that big of a deal to be able to do that. But I think with, with, with hitters, I think there is some merit to that. Um, but obviously we don't have the numbers. It's just a gut feeling, but it, it does seem that they are very, very willing to try to let people work through it for a few days. Okay, so with kind of a depleted outfield, the Brewers finally called up Keon Broxton. And Keon decided to make an impact right away. Yeah, pretty much right away. So it was interesting on, uh, what was that? Friday. Friday night's game. He had two home runs. He had two home runs and, and he a also, couple great defensive plays. He had a couple great defensive plays. And I think he had another great defensive play on Saturday as well. And, and today. Yeah, Sunday. And then he also made the Reds look like the Keystone Cops on a play that he scored on middle of the game on Friday. Yes. Yeah, the scramble, that rundown, where I'm, I'm still not exactly sure what happened there, except that uh, the Reds catcher should have thrown it earlier. Yeah, okay. He got caught off ba- uh, off a of third base on a secondary lead. Well, and he slipped and fell, so he ended up on the ground. Well, he got caught. They got him in a rundown. The Reds catcher got it, ran him all the way back to third, and I forget who was on second, was standing on third. Not standing on, but he was next to third. Oh, no, it was Arcia was on yeah. second, and he... He waited. Broxton, they let Broxton get back to third base. Arcia took back to took off for second. They threw him out at second, but at the same time, Keon broke and scored. Right. So it And was, then there was also a bad throw home there that helped. Sure. But, it, yeah, it was another weird... We've seen a few... Uh, the Brewers get out of a few weird rundowns this season. Yeah, I mean, this was nothing 
like the the Kane one that was just truly epic, but it was pretty close. It was this one was dumber. When a guy takes a dive on the field like that, is able to get up, get back to the base safe, and then take off to home to score. Sure. That's pretty. I mean, I think the the reason that everybody flipped out about the Kane one is because, I mean, it it was a it was something we hadn't really seen. I don't think it was better than a lot of things. It was normally you don't see somebody have have the awareness to tell somebody else what to do. Yeah, and, there was a headiness to the Kane play. Right, where this he's one pointing was, and and leading the runner in. Yeah, this yeah. one is just purely stupid. But it was fun to watch. But anyways, point was, Keon, big uh, big contribution right off the bat. Massive, massive game, yeah. Have the Brewers missed an opportunity to bring him up instead of Brett Phillips? Or, JP, do you think Phillips is still the right guy to give that first opportunity to earlier in the season? Oh, earlier in the season? Yeah. I don't think it, I don't think it really changes anything. Um, I think that Brett Phillips gives you a lot of things that you really like to be able to see for a fourth outfielder. Um, I think Keon Broxton still has a lot of issues that we've been able to see in AAA. I mean, I, I still think he's, I don't know if it's true anymore because there's been a few days that he hasn't been down there, but he was leading the PCL in strikeouts, uh, for the vast majority of the year, which is funny um, because there's been all this talk about how he brought his hands up and had changed his swing. Right. Yeah. But people they do. were, they were just talking about that immediately in the first game that he had a good game. Yeah. Well, people like to be able to look at really small samples and then uh, attribute it to something visible. Um, I think it's something that people really like because there was the huge thing about how dropping his hands was going to solve everything. Uh, But then now it's going to solve the exact same issue by moving his hands up to solve the issue that everybody said he needed to move his hands down for. So uh, it's, it doesn't really, I, I, I think Keon Brox, this is exactly who he is. He's a guy that can be dynamic. He's a guy who can hit for power. He has he, he can really track it down in center field, obviously. He's somebody who can run. He can create havoc on the base paths. But he's going to have games where he looks utterly lost. And it's not anything that we haven't seen before. But when it clicks, well, he'll, he'll have he's months dynamic. Where, yeah, he has months where he looks totally lost. So the idea that like he would go down to AAA and have a struggle. I mean, granted, he didn't show much throughout basically – half the season or close to half the season in in triple a but you know sometimes guys don't especially if you're you've been a major leaguer you're used to that sometimes like the the minor league thing at that point rings a little hollow maybe he's not as able to get up for those games as he is in the majors who knows there's potentially a lot of different things that could be going on here. Now you, you talked about Brett Phillips having the skill set to be, you know, kind of what you look for in a fourth outfielder. How is he different than what Keon Broxton offers? Cause Phillips is another guy. He hits with some power. He has a high strikeout. You like his defense. He can run. I mean, are we describing two different players really? Or is it just one bats right-handed one bats left-handed? I mean, I know yeah, for, that's for me there. For me, they're a little bit different because Brett Phillips has the ability to take more walks and he's going to be a plus defender in left and right. He can play all three outfield positions. He can help pretty much no matter what. And Keon Broxton is best in center. I mean, have we seen him much in the corners even? I'm trying to think. Not really. Yeah, we have. Which, I mean, is not generally because they just haven't tried it before. It generally means that he's that much better in, in center, that that's where you want him to be. Yeah, so it, it'll be interesting to see how much Keon plays from here on out. I would imagine if when when Kane's back and then Yelich and Braun are both playing 100, I mean, he really doesn't have a place again. Is he going to be up any longer once those guys are ready? I don't know. I mean, it depends on how how he keeps performing. I mean, I think if he continues to play well, they'll they'll find room for him on the roster. Uh, I think the plan is to be able to bring Domingo Santana up. So it it obviously depends on how he performs down in AAA to see how quickly they can get him back on back in the saddle. Because I think that's what they would like most is to be able to have Domingo Santana, Santana back. I mean, if Domingo gets called back up, how much are they going to want him in the starting lineup? Are they trying to get him, you know, close to every day if possible? I don't think so. I think it'll probably be, what, three three days a week, something close to that. I mean, we have a question about that, right? Wasn't oh, there a question there? Domingo? Yeah, the second question down. Hey, look at that. <laughs> that was one of the ones that JP added for us later. No, I, I added that. Oh, you? Okay. Uh, yeah, it is from Andrew Albert Julius on Twitter. 
Yep. Uh, he asked, does Keon have a legitimate chance to supplant Domingo Santana on the death chart? Or is that overreaction theater? Would you trade Keon, Domingo, or both for a Brian Dozer rental? Or would Dozer even come back in that kind of a trade? I mean, if you could get Brian Dozier for Keon Broxton, I think you'd, you'd do that, right? But I, I think that would be a pretty difficult sell. Are you asking me? Sure, you can jump yeah, in here. I mean, I, that was it's that seems okay. Like hold, a on, hold on, hold on, hold on. First part: Is there any chance that Keon supplants uh, D- Domingo Santana on the depth chart? I mean, for a very short period of time, sure, but I don't think so long term. Ryan, yeah, it it seems unlikely that it would be for a long period of time. And Domingo's what, like three years younger? Domingo's younger and presumably more upside. Yeah, Domingo has shown in a full season what his upside he can do, which is better than Broxton has ever shown. Yes. Yeah. Like, I don't think anybody thinks that Broxton could have Domingo Santana's 2017. What, I mean, though what Keon did over the course of it, hitting 20 home runs, even though the on-base percentage was bad, but then playing defense in center field the way he did, but how much is he going to play center field when Lorenzo Cain's there? It's not that's, really an important question. Yep, that's the issue. So if that doesn't – Broxton, unfortunately, does seem like a guy that's only really – he's probably most useful on the roster if Cain isn't there, which sucks for him. Right, so, I mean, but that's what we talked about in the offseason afterwards, right? That right. he didn't really – this is why we didn't expect him to necessarily be the person that would make the roster because he just doesn't really have – the, the defensive flexibility that somebody like Brett Phillips has, and he doesn't really have an opportunity to have playing time with somebody like Lorenzo Cain there. Yeah. Is it unfair to Broxton that he's basically stuck on the team? Yes. I don't know, because I think that the team would I think the team would trade him if they were if they got something that was worthwhile. And I think in a lot of ways that perhaps signals that either so it could be that other teams in Major League Baseball don't value him very highly. Uh, I do wonder how much of it has been that uh, there maybe have been a couple of teams that aren't necessarily all that good are waiting for for the Brewers to DFA him, and they want him that way. They don't want to pay for him, but they would be very happy to give him Major League playing time over a long period of time, um, just like the just like the Brewers did when they were in their rebuilding phase, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, but the Brewers really don't have to DFA him, so that's not going to happen anytime soon. No, but also if you're a rebuilding team, what does it matter if they DFA him in four months or if they do it now? Sure. Yeah. I mean, just he's already, what, 28? Yeah. I'm just saying, like, from Broxton's perspective. Though if you're that team. Oh, for, from Broxton's perspective, it's brutal. Yeah, yeah that's what I was I was speaking from, was from, Bo- from Broxton's point of view. But... The thing is, if you're one of those bad teams you're talking about, you're not guaranteed to get him if he's DFA'd. If a team in front of you, higher on the waiver priority, grabs him ahead of you, you can end up losing out. So there's still some value to potentially be gained from actually trading away a player to get. But him. I think that They're shows not that trade teams worthwhile. Yeah, I think that shows that teams are willing to like pick him up and give him a shot if they can just get him for nothing. But he's not worth enough to say we want to give you something tangible in return for a guarantee to get Keon Broxton. Yeah, but I mean, sometimes you trade away a piece that doesn't seem all that valuable and they like become what? that. Like what? I mean, Jonathan VR. Yeah, would the Brewers give up for VR? Cy Sneed. Cy Sneed, yes. Yeah. Who, by the way, is pitching very well in AAA for Houston. Oh, is he? Well, yeah, good he luck is. breaking into that uh, major league situation. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah, so uh, speaking of other guys who uh, have been going up and down, uh, Orlando Arcia has been sent back back down to AAA. So this was kind of, he got called up under an odd circumstance since, uh, uh, what's his name? When Tyler Saladino got hurt. Saladino, yeah. yeah. When Saladino got hurt, he got called back up, I think, a lot earlier than everybody expected. So is this going to be his, I guess, extended stay that everybody was expecting the first time? And extended, I'm talking about like a few weeks. 
I mean, you I would, you would hope so. You think like long, like he's got a month plus ahead of him. I think he could. I mean, he's look, he's not only looked bad at the plate. Um, I put this on Twitter, so it's not anything, you know, new, but, uh, I, on Saturday night, the, the Brewers had a situation in which Craig council actually let Shasin bat for himself, got a hit, and then brought in Orlando Arcia to pinch run for him and then kept him in the game, in which basically you then used Arcia in a spot to, you know, in a depleted bench in which it was clear that you didn't want Shasin to be able to continue to pitch. And so he easily could have pinch hit for him. But to me, that was almost a signal that uh, either two things, right? It either could have meant that Craig Council actually didn't trust Orlando Arce enough to be able to get a hit over somebody like Shasin, which is a pretty difficult scenario to be able to suggest that maybe he'll just be down for a couple of weeks and then come back. Or it could mean that they didn't actually really want, they were just going to kind of let the inning peter out. But once he got on, they were like, well, okay, we didn't expect this inning to continue. We might as well take advantage of it, put in Orlando Arcia, try to get some speed on the bases and see if you can put together a, a rally. That's my but, impression. I think oh, I that thought maybe much the, more likely. I thought maybe they just like the idea that Chassin just might not swing, and that could be more positive than Orlando Arcia <laughs> going up there and flailing. Well, away. I mean, but even, even in that situation, though, you're still suggesting that if you wanted to burn one of your very few pinch hitters by this really unlikely uh, two-out rally, you still would have been able to say, in my in my estimation, that that rally still would have been possible by pinch hitting Orlando Arcia, but then you were just suggesting that you don't actually think that he's going to get on base, so it's not worthwhile. Or you don't think there's enough of a difference between uh... – Shasin's ability to get on base and Arcia's ability to get on base to make it worthwhile. Right. Which is a pretty damning critique of their confidence in, in Orlando Arcia. If that's true, might not be true whatsoever, but or they were, is... they were just going to let Shasin pitch a little bit more and then decided, eh, okay, we're not yeah, going to let him run the bases in the humidity and then he go also back had on the, just on like the allowed bases loaded two innings in a row. So I, I don't oh, necessarily yeah. think that he was going to be continuing. I, the the amount of the amount of of roster kind of manipulation during the middle of the game to make sure that Orlando Garcia is not getting key at bats or is not getting as many at bats as other people suggests that uh, they just don't think he can help right now at the plate, right. and that is again not something that says this is going to be the case in six months. Not saying that they still don't see him being the shortstop of the future. Not saying any of those things. Like we've seen a lot of people, we and we talked about Gene Segura last time. Like there are guys that are allowed to struggle and then come back and can figure it out if they've got the tools to do it. But this moment in which you are atop the NL Central and you're trying to be able to put your best team out there right now, and you can still maintain your roster depth by sending him down to triple a seems to me that right now they're suggesting that Orlando Arcia is not helping them with. Yeah, that, yeah, it's undeniable. And you've got, and you've got Tyler Saladino uh, in his rehab start down in, uh, or, or up in Appleton, I suppose. So you figure that probably this could be the end of Eric Sogard's tenure on the roster as well, because it seems that at shortstop, you're probably going to have a platoon of Brad Miller and uh, Tyler Saladino, which doesn't really leave much space for Eric Sogard. Yeah. And then presumably Hernan Perez sticks around and Jonathan VR is playing quite a bit at second base though. I think which is fine, it looks like right? Miller is going to see some time, some significant time at second base as well, which is fine. That's, Oh yeah, that's I mean that but that's the the hard part about that for me, not to say that, you know, he shouldn't see some time at second base because that, you know, isn't that big of an issue. But if you're trying to think about whether or not Jonathan VR is better from the left or the right hand side of the plate, he's better hitting lefty. And that's what Brad Miller would that presumably be there to do. Right. So I'm not necessarily it's it's probably an upgrade, uh power wise, um, but I don't necessarily know how big of an upgrade it is. But I think right and now... And VR is definitely the better defender. 
I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked to see Orlando Arcia down there till August. Right. And presumably like late August. Yeah. And if he is not, well, what do they have to do to gain the extra year at this point? <laughs> I, I don't know. I that don't would be, that would have to be, yeah, it would probably have to be well over a, I think do if this they move do is, it to game that. No, I think if this move is about making sure that their roster is optimized right now for to be able to push for it, if he starts knocking crap out of the ball and they're not getting phenomenal production at shortstop. Oh, he'll back. be back. He'll be back. Yeah. If he starts knocking the crap out of the ball, if he figures it out, he's coming back. I was just wondering because end of August would be about because he came up in early August. He came up on August 4th. Sure. But either way, he would be coming back for September. So you wouldn't get to that point. So that's that's a non-issue. I would hope. I, I would imagine that would upset the players' union if you start sending guys down with a you know couple of years of service time. Well, Man, I think it would upset the team. Like well, you've got players who are pretty close to Orlando Arcia that you get some players that are pretty upset about. But that. that's not why they're sending him down. That could just be a. I was looking to see if that was a side benefit of it, but it won't be. So never mind. You're all about workers' rights until you can manipulate service time on your uh, <laughs> favorite a, team's it's, players. It's a it's a blind spot. Yeah, it's good to know. Good to know. So um, people are complicated. Okay, they are. I contain multitudes. Okay, so we had a <laughs> we had a couple different Freddie Peraltas show up this week. Yeah, we had a really the, good Freddie Peralta versus the Royals. Oh man, that game was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I was I went down in a rainstorm to see that just because I wanted to make sure I caught his first home start. And he looked just absolutely dominated. Granted, it's a Royals lineup that doesn't have much going for it, especially without Jorge Soler. But it's still a major league lineup. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, there was uh, uh, Ranny who's, you know, Ranny on the Royals to baseball perspectives, to, you know, a lot of things. But uh, he actually tweeted out during the middle of that game that the Royals hadn't scored more than four runs or I don't even think they had scored four runs. I don't remember if it was four or more, but it, it was something like two and a half weeks. Yeesh. <laughs> it was like they were awful for a long period of time for their offense. And so Royals fans uh, get to do to penance like, for uh, winning yeah, that I, World Series. Oh, I suppose when they had their, you know, actually good players on the team. Uh, when they had, I mean, that not to like get into that too much, but they had Lorenzo Kane, Eric Hosmer, Salvi Perez, they had um, Mike Moustakis. I mean, they were a good team. Yeah, they sure. were they were a good, a good team. team. They had a, a great bullpen. Yeah, that yeah. was which, the strength of the team. Which we've seen what that can do in playoff runs. There have been multiple teams with great bullpens that all of a sudden, that's when they, quote-unquote, catch fire. But well, it was a big part of why they were able to get through those two playoff runs. Exactly. They win they a lot of close yeah. games. We've seen the Brewers do it this year. A good bullpen yeah. can win you a lot I mean, of close that games. That is the dream. The Brewers are, just, are clinging to it. That when you suggest that they have to do penance, it sounds like they like didn't deserve to win the the World Series. They were a really good team. They were, they were a, a great team. They were a really good team in fifteen. They, they were, in fourteen when they made the World Series. If they'd won that, that would have been a fluke. They were a good team. They were never a great team. They were. They had the right pieces and the right guys got hot for the playoffs, which is what you need. Which, yeah, which is like, which is totally you what play, you need. Yeah, if you can make the playoffs, everything's a crapshoot. But they weren't some juggernaut for 162 games. But now we're getting they were, off. They were pretty good in 15. I think they won 95. Okay, no, games. we're but getting off ask, topic. You can also ask the Dodgers how how important it is to be an absolute juggernaut and then just absolutely crap it in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, uh, yeah, he wasn't Peralta. Freddie Peralta, getting back to that, was not pitching against a great team in the Royals. But he had 10 strikeouts. And he only had one walk. And this was in seven innings. And it it really just looked so good. Like the hitters looked like they just didn't really have much of a chance. Yeah. That it was just absolute commanding dominance. So, so again, that, that was, that was great to see. And then it's Sunday against the um, Reds. Very weird game. We saw the other Freddie Peralta where he, I think he, did he have three walks in the first inning? He was really having trouble with the strike zone. He would, he was kind of, nibbling around it and the reds who are currently hitting a ton uh be really really doing well wouldn't swing at anything that wasn't basically a meatball so when he had to then come in and they were 
they were getting hits. I mean, they weren't necessarily tattooing the ball, but they were they were striking the ball. Well, but he was all, and he was forced to hits. come over with the ball because he had a ton of guys on. He threw over forty pitches in the first inning. So yep. I guess does Sunday's just the flip side of what we're we can expect from Freddie Peralta, right, JP? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think there that's the case in in multiple different ways. I think early on you saw his velocity way down, um, and that is something that Freddie Peralta does once in a while. Um, I mean, his his stuff kind of day-to-day is a little bit erratic in terms of, of velocity. Um, but he went to full counts, I think, on his first two hitters, even when he got ahead of uh, Tyler Barnhart. And then I, he still was able to then get it back on track and be able to actually like power through some innings. Um, I am shocked. He went five innings. He had five strikeouts. He only, he only had gave three up walks. Three and he only gave up. Th- yeah. And he gave up three runs. So they're all in the first. What, inning. I think he, I was, ex- he sat down his last 11 batters. Or we something. were talking about yeah. it before we started recording. We, Ryan and I were expecting that he was going to get pulled in the first. I oh, thought yeah, it was, he was close. I thought it was. Yeah. You, I mean, once you get, once you're up 40 pitches in an inning, that's dangerous for an arm. I mean, it looked, it looked for a little bit like he was going to get pulled in the first before he even got an out. Yeah, there yeah. was yeah, because it wasn't until he got to that seventh batter he got a gift to get that first out. That was not a strike, and he got a gift to get that, and then had the pitcher spot, and then was able to get Hamilton to strike out as well. But the thing I noticed in that first inning was teams that are disciplined against him. He's around the zone a lot, even when he's missing. He tends to be around the zone, but if you can make him be in the zone like the Reds were. If they they were making him be in the strike zone, and I don't I don't know how much I buy that. I like, mean, if I the Reds were the Reds were incredibly disciplined against. So, him. are you but saying he he's in hittable the in the zone? No, I'm saying that if they make him be in the zone in that particular situation too, like JP was saying, he was sitting like 91, 92 in that first inning. He was not he was not throwing particularly hard. So, I mean his. First batter, he was throwing eighty-seven. Oh, was it that low? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't catch I mean, first, it until the first batter. I mean, he was able to then get higher than that, but like he was in the eighties for his first batter. So he took some time to warm up because but he was. I, I mean, when I saw it, it was I, in like 90, 91, 92. I think it's it's a little bit tough because uh, this was something that I talked a lot about after after the Royals. Um, he was in the zone a ton against the Royals. But the thing is, is Freddie Peralta has one of the lowest contact rates at pitches in the zone period. And he's in, and his pitches in the zone were almost at 50% through his first, what four starts four five starts. So he's in the zone a lot. He's not particularly, uh, he doesn't command the ball well in the zone, but he does pitch it in the zone a lot. And one of his biggest strengths is people miss the ball a lot. And it's, it's like, he had a 15% swinging strike rate throwing over 80% fastballs. And a lot of those are in the zone. It's, it's, it's a combination of, of deception. It's a combination of guys having to swing. Um, and this was just one of those scenarios in which it does show us. And this is something that we saw in, in triple a bunch that actually he's not in the zone as much as we would expect. Because there were, I think I, I was looking at it, it was like six starts in a row in which he walked at least three batters uh, in AAA. And you can see kind of start to start that he actually doesn't command. It's not like he's pitching on the black a lot. He's pitching high up in the zone and guys are missing it a ton. And his his breaking ball has gotten better and better and better, which has allowed him to be able to have more success. But I actually don't think he is He's a lot like when people talk about Josh Hader having great command. He doesn't. He's still a dominant pitcher, but you're going to have walk issues from time to time. And I was most impressed that Freddie Peralta was able to walk it back on it and actually power through. And I think that shows a lot. And I think that that Craig Council will really love that. If you're looking at being able to, to bank on whether or not he can bounce back for his next start. I wouldn't have any hesitation to be able to put him out in five days again, knowing that he was able to bounce back like that in the middle of the game. Yeah, it ended up being a really gutty performance. That was 
it was good to yes, see that. Yes, it was. And he really because he did we, get it together and figure out what he needed to do. Yeah, we've again, talked about the that good. Reds lineup is good. Like that it's mm-hmm. weirdly it's sneakily good, but and they're especially hot right now. You have a bunch of guys who were when he put the ball in the zone, they were getting good wood on it and putting it into play well. So Reds have the second best offense in all major league baseball in the month of June. Yeah, I mean they are they're hitting the ball. It's <laughs> it's the pitching that's their problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, we have a lot of uh, trade questions. We're kind of getting into the season. Tis, tis the season. Yeah, especially since the calendar turned. So uh, we'll start with uh, the most general uh, of the trade question. What What's the biggest position uh, the Brewers need to address? Shortstop, catcher, or another arm in the bullpen? That's from Jay Google on Twitter. I'm still saying catcher. I think they need to get another catcher in there to go with Pena. And to perhaps allow Pena to be more of a... You don't like Wildcrats? To be more of a 40 to 50% of the time catcher than a 70, 80% of the time catcher. That would be my ideal. Yeah, JP, you have a preference? Uh, I think there needs to be an infielder that comes in. I don't think it necessarily needs to be shortstop, though. I think if they bring in somebody, he should be able to play shortstop in some capacity. But... I think they need somebody in the infield to be able to lengthen the lineup because right now they're so it, it's an absolute black hole. Even when everybody's healthy, it's an absolute black hole right now after the top five. And so they, they really need somebody. And if obviously if any of these injuries continue to crop up, if uh, Travis Shaw is dealing with a wrist injury for the next, if they're not going to put him on the DL and they're going to be playing 20, 20 games in 20 days or whatever it is like, he needs a rest and he needs more than like a two day rest or a three day rest that the, you know, the all-star break is going to be able to give. So there's a chance that they're going to be dealing with injuries for a while. And I think being able to have somebody that can play flexible, uh, flexibly in the infield is probably the best case scenario. Okay. Uh, Jason Spitz has a Patreon question and it is, uh, do you guys think Eric Thames could bring back a worthwhile piece or part of a package be part of a package for a trade? Yeah, but I'm in no hurry to trade him because I think he's he's incredibly important, especially as JB, JP's been talking about with with the compromised risk situation of Travis Shaw and the fact that Yelich has been out of the lineup. They need some left-handed power in this lineup. So, and that's Eric Thames. So now would be the absolute wrong time to make a move like that. Maybe if you had a situation where both Shaw and Th- and Yelich were doing well, Miller has has stepped in and has proven that he's also able to hit for some power and be another lefty power bat in the lineup. In that case, maybe you would start looking at, at moving somebody like Thames, but under the current situation, I don't see how you would do it, and you know it would make the team better necessarily. Plus, he's a 30-plus-year-old primarily first baseman with a year left on his contract. Whoa. Are you oh, telling me you haven't been impressed with his defense and left or right? <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine a team acquiring him would do it for uh, acquiring a first baseman. So, but I mean, it would be, you know what? He's the Brewers guy. I think he plays here for the rest of the contract. The idea that they're going to package Eric Thames or Thames would bring something back for them would be a little crazy. I mean, wow. Is is he that different? I mean, he's a different player, obviously, but is he that different from like what Adam Lynn's trade value was when he was traded from the Brewers to Seattle? Yeah, I mean, that's actually a good shout. Uh, I think it's probably a little bit higher than that, but I don't think it's actually that far off. But what did that um, bring back? Freddie Peralta. Freddy Peralta. But Peralta was one of what, three 18-year-olds? No, I mean, it was, it was, it was a move that uh, didn't have kind of the return that I think a lot of people would want if they wanted to to move Eric Thames. If they wanted to move Eric Thames, I think what Jason Spitz is asking is, are they going to be able to bring a big leaguer back? And and maybe, maybe a bullpen arm, something like that. But this offense needs as many quality bats as it can get right now. And I don't think that moving one of the only one of the only guys that's actually producing uh, offensively in the last month is going to be really what you want to do. And Thames shows a lot of patience at the plate. So, yeah, he certainly I mean, does. you talk about the guys in this lineup. Thames is one of the ones who can make a pitcher work. So, you know, you can't just say, like, let's let's throw some other free swinger in in his place. Well, and I think the fact that they're willing to play him in left field and right field so much, and he's 
had some difficulty uh, uh, reading the bat. Uh, reading the ball off the bat uh, or his routes have sometimes not necessarily been what you'd like, but I think it's a pretty big signal right now that they feel offensively. They need his bat in the lineup as much as it can possibly be in there. Uh, So I don't think that that would be something that the team would entertain at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Darren Jones, another Patreon question asks if the Brewers decide to pursue a trade for a Mets starting pitcher, do you think uh, it makes more sense to go after DeGrom or Syndergaard? Or both. I'm adding that. <laughs> Just all of the pitchers. Why not, why not both? Um, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, it seems unlikely in either case. But who? I guess who would you rather pursue? If they were going to actually make a run for one of those guys, who would you rather the Brewers pursue? I don't know that they have what it would take to get Cindergard. That's, That's not the not question. Cindergard. Uh, More pretty, control. Pretty, no, I think he's a better pitcher than DeGrom. Well, he's also been a lot less healthy. Like, yeah, DeGrom's had health him. issues, but Syndergaard's had significant health issues. Okay. Well, we weren't discussing who's the healthier pitcher. We were just asking who you'd rather pursue. But, I mean, we so want you're a guy to be DeGrom. healthy for what you're doing. So you're saying DeGrom. Yeah, so, I think you but would cost I, And I was going to say, I could make the exact same, be I could make the the exact same argument saying that DeGrom is actually the bigger injury risk because he's had the injury problems in the past and has pitched so much that you're actually expecting that he'll break down. Eventually. And he's 30. Like, Syndergaard is not. Yeah, Did I was... talk, you, talk you out of it? Are you are you on Team Thor? No, I'm, I don't think they're going to trade for either one, but I think DeGrom would be the more realistic guess. This is Ryan's hedging corner. Well, it, I don't think either one is. See, I say I say something that's hedging, and I get nailed for it. Breen over there says something. He that's, made a choice. He said, "I don't think they're going to go after either one," but he picked the guy that he wanted. I said, "Yeah," and I said, "Degrom." So he said, fine. "If you got to choose either of them, and they were free, right? You didn't even have to pay anything for them, and you got to decide which pitcher you wanted. Who do you want in a vacuum? Oh, which one do you like better? Then, yeah, Syndergaard. That's okay. not. I didn't so, understand so the question hard. that way. Because apparently I'm warm and not listening that close. That was all. Who would you rather pursue? (laughs) Because again, the likelihood of either one is probably pretty slim. And again, that's that's, already made some noise on Sunday uh, through Buster Olney's column. Basically, they've put out some through quote unquote sources uh, that they're basically looking for a huge overpay. Otherwise, they're not interested. Sure. Well, and trying to deal with who are you even talking to in that front office? They have three GMs right now because Sandy Alderson had to le- take a leave of absence because his cancer came back. So you're dealing yeah. with like, who is it? JP Ricciardi, Sandy Alderson, for God's sake. How is that man still there? And then Alderson. Or no, sorry, not Sandy Alderson. Uh, Omar Minaya. You are just <laughs> a horrible person. <laughs> I met Omar Minaya. Why hasn't your cancer just taken you out of your position yet? Omar, Omar, Omar Minaya, and then some guy I'd never heard of who is actually the one doing all the talking. So, Man, we're in that out of context, and it's going to be great. That uh, is all Ryan Top. You can send all of your comments to at RD, RD Top on Twitter. Yes. Uh, but I will say that I think, and it's something to add to that, that in Olney's column this morning, he said that by all accounts, it looks like the Mets actually want to go outside their organization for their next GM. So, yeah, who knows what they want to do? That is just a craptastic organization. They are so poorly run. It's and, amazing. And, and to like, because actually, I know that there are some Twitter followers uh, that I know, you know, have thoughts about Buster Olney, but the, the, the column this morning was actually uh, quite good. Um, And one of the things that it brought up that I think is right is more and more what you're seeing is, is teams want to shed salary. They don't necessarily care as much about the pieces that they're getting back. When it comes to mid season trades, they want to get rid of salary as much as possible. And it sounds like basically what only says is talking to, to, to execs across the league. It sounds like, teams that are in contention are going to wait as long as possible because they're going to wait out the teams that want to shed salary more than get prospects back. Yeah. I mean, and DeGrom and Syndergaard, neither one is making a particularly large amount at this point. I think Syndergaard's still pre-arb, right? And I think so. And DeGrom is like making six this year in his well, year of arbitration. It sounds like 
the Mets want to be like, well, can I interest you in a shiny Jay Bruce that we paid too much for? And everyone goes, no, no, we don't want that, please. Can we talk about pitching? And they go, right, we've got Jose Reyes. Do you want him? <laughs> no baggage there. Oh, God. So, um, so we got a question from Jerry Eldred on Twitter. If each of the hosts had to pick one starting caliber player to acquire at the deadline, who would it be? Ryan, you want to start? Because yeah. I'm looking at you. I'll take yeah. I'll take Luke Roy. It, it could be Luke Roy or Humbly. I, that, those are the guys I'm. I'm just gonna keep sticking with that. Week those are the week ones you week. would pick if you had one to acquire. Okay. I mean, well, we're talking he, about given he, the costs, right? We're not talking about in a vacuum. Like, if I, I could a, if I could acquire anybody, give me Manny Machado. But I was gonna say, know, like, yeah, if you could give me one guy who I think would make the biggest impact on the team, Jesus, Manny Machado, Machado right, for but, what they need, like, but. Yeah, you're not paying that to rent him for three months and then wave a Rivaderci with absolutely nothing coming back. You don't even get draft picks for him. It's I don't know what would what would it take. Well, okay, JP, what's your your uh, choice? I think right now it's still probably Jed Lowry. I think he he offers exactly what I want in terms of an infield flexibility. Uh, he offers um, what should be a pretty low price tag because of the the fact that he is a rental. And he is a veteran presence that can come in and, and will, I think, relish being in a, in a postseason hunt. And he still offers uh, quality plate discipline as well. So I think he just adds a lot of things that I really like. I knew you were going to say that. That's why I stayed away what, from him. What do we think the price is going to be for a Machado? I mean, we keep saying the price is going to be high. The price is going to be high. For the Brewers, I can't imagine you don't get him without including Kested Hira and two more legitimate top 150 type prospects. You're saying just for the Brewers? For the Brewers, because that's what we're talking about here. I think they're going No, no, no. To... Are you saying the price is higher for the Brewers? Is that the point you're making? No, I'm just saying that that's what it would be in terms of what the Brewers have. Because every team's a little different because not every team has no, you know, no, no. a I... top 10 prospect. If you have a top 10 prospect, that changes the calculus. But the Brewers don't. They have, you know, Hero, who is, you know, middle of the top 50. Well, he had been. I think Hira's going to probably well, take a big leap. No, the, the new rankings have come out. Oh, did they? They're, he's still being ranked like in the 20s and 30s. Okay. Yeah. Which is still quite good. Um, yes. It's still quite good, but it's not. he's not in the top 10. He's not you know top five. Right. Uh, so I think to, to me what I do is I look at what uh, came last summer for you, Darvish, and that was Willie Calhoun, who still isn't in the big leagues is somebody that has huge defensive question marks in which nobody knows where he's going to play and was a back-end top 100 prospect, maybe around the you know, 50 or 60th range of somebody like Baseball America really you know loved the bat and didn't really take into consideration where he would play. He was the headliner. And Yu Darvish is probably close to what Manny Machado could, could hope to, to bring. I think the Orioles would want to get more. Um, well, everybody wants think, to get more, but I right. don't think the Orioles but, will take. Less. But the Orioles, the Orioles are not necessarily a team. They're a lot like the Mets. Yep, they're 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 a team in which I don't necessarily feel confident that they're going to do things that always make sense. Yep. And okay, hold on. Are you saying there's a possibility that they get to the trade deadline? They don't get a deal that they think is high enough, and then they make no deal at all and get nothing yes. out of Machado. Yes. Yeah, I, you firmly believe you firmly believe that they would sit on they, going nowhere. They would sit on Machado and take nothing and let him go at the end of the season. Yes, over <laughs> taking the best deal available. Yeah, I think that's quite do, possible. Because if if that is going to be if they're going to do basically if they're going to pull a Pirates and basically say we're trading Garrett Cole no matter what, they're gonna get, they're gonna then have the Yankees call up and be like, yeah. By the way, we do want Manny Machado. Uh, this guy's off the table. 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 And this guy's off the table. But yeah, you know what? If you still want to trade him to us, we'll talk. Like there, there are going to be so many teams that are going to test that, and they're going to test it and test it and test it. I don't necessarily. I can't think of too many teams that are going to be willing to go to absolute war to be able to pick up Manny Machado what like is who, yeah who is a team right now that is saying we don't really care about our future we're not the beginning of our contention cycle 
yeah, we're just trading whoever. Go for it. I mean, maybe the Dodgers. What is the most you would give up for Manny Machado? Uh, I, I think. I think I would give up something that headlined it anyone that was not Kesson Hura. So would you go Corbin Burns and maybe, you know, another couple low-end guys? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. But they're not going to deal him to the Brewers without Kesson Hura being in that deal. I would be I would be flabbergasted if that happened. If you were the Brewers, would you put start a package with Corbin Burns, just put it on the table and say, here you go, and wait for the till the trade deadline hits to see if they take it? I mean, maybe, but then that would basically mean you're not going to do any other moves. And if that falls through, then you get nothing. Well, I mean, they can still make other moves and say, you know, we'll take Machado if you want him. Otherwise, you know, Burns is going to be gone in this other deal. Oh, sure. Yeah. Then, yeah, absolutely. That's what I would do. I would say, here's, I would say, here's our, here's our best package. Or I would say, you know, here's who we'll start with. And here's a list of, of players. And you can kind of choose who you want. Uh, and if you don't like it, then tough. But I think a lot of teams are going to do that. Basically, the Orioles will have to make a decision and whether or not they want to signal to their fan base. And you can absolutely argue that their win-loss record is a signal that they're done competing. But I think that they're going to be much more concerned about, uh, I think it's much more likely that they move somebody like Zach Britton uh, no matter what. What if it is they move somebody like Manny Machado and get something that's not something they can sell? Where's Adam Jones at? Does he have one year left after this or does he is he also a free agent? I do not know. Yeah, because they're they're at the the bitter end here. And the way like Chris Davis has been. I was going to say, I bet you if you said if you give us Manny Machado, we'll take Chris Davis and take his contract. I bet you could get him. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Would you pay a hundred and what's Davis have left? One hundred twenty five million dollars. Not quite that much, I hope. Hundred million dollars. No, it's 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 a hundred. It's at it is at least a hundred million dollars. Would you write a hundred million dollar check for half a season just to get Manny Machado and then I don't know? Dump I would write a hundred million dollar check out of Mark Antonazio's money. Hell yeah! I would totally spend his money and do that. Yeah, I would spend his money to do that. But I mean, JP, would you spend? <laughs> would you spend his money to do that? Would I feel it's fiscally what's, responsible what's to take a, somebody else's money for my own personal pleasure? Absolutely. What's a year's worth of payroll to just acquire a player and dump a guy? Well, and then, sure. you know what? What we can do is we can have a Matt Garza-type question about whether or not uh, Chris Davis could bring something in the offseason. I think yeah, Chris Davis could definitely bring <laughs> value back. I hate you both. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, we can all dream that they'll make a deal like that. Right? Give up nothing, yes. just pay some money? Yeah, <laughs> some money. Well, hey, how much money would they make if they went on a World Series run? I mean, that if you won the World Series with Manny Machado, I don't want to say that would pay for it, but it would basically pay for it. Like, that would be... I would imagine... Like, it would basically spend it down. I would imagine between the attendance you have at the end of the season and next year and the interest in the team from that point... Oh, probably also, not when you, when you go to the postseason, you are literally the owners. There's like no cost involved for ownership. They just print money. Like but let me postseason ask, runs, let me they just. Question. Do you know how much? Do you know how much postseason tickets cost for the World Series? If you guys ever, I mean, you know this because we've dealt with this. But the the, uh, the our ticket package that we have when teams go to the World Series to buy those World Series tickets, it is ten times the regular season face. Yeah. I mean, you are just the, printing money yeah. at that point. And it's not like the team has to pay, like they have to pay out some bonuses or something. I think MLB largely does that. And like the concessions that they're selling and all the extra stuff. When teams win the World Series, it is just, you might as well back up the dump truck full of money and just like dump it on the owner. So if the Brewers would have won the World Series in 2008, would you have thought the CC Sabathia trade's worth it? That's a bad way of evaluating <laughs> trades. It's a terrible way of evaluating trades. <laughs> oh, my God. Ten years on and we're Retro- still debating Retroactively, that. Yeah. yeah. No, I just had this oh, conversation with my brother about the were, oldest Chapman deal. He's like, yeah, I would be so like that would be it was a trade he didn't like at the time when they dealt as a Cubs Glaber Torres as a Cubs fan to get. Aroldis Chapman for Glaber Torres and also some other pieces. I think Billy McKinney was in that deal. But it was a trade he didn't like at the time. But then Chapman was instrumental in them winning a World Series. He's like, I don't care. And it's like, well, that's not a good way to evaluate the trade, but it's also a completely valid feeling to have personally. Okay, here's the thing. 
If you win the World Series, nothing matters. It doesn't matter. Then it was a great trade. Nothing matters. It but is, it, but it's still not though. Because winning the World did Series, you win was a World luck. Series? Did you win a winning World, World Series? But did you win luck. a World Series? So when you say nothing matters, and then say but it still matters, right? That's there's a duality here. There's a it's no, there's a, not. It's a contradiction. No, there's not. Yes, no, there's not. yes there is. No. There's one goal: win the World Series. If you do that, but that doesn't make the move better retroactively. It just means I'm not that saying it it's retro. Off. I'm not saying it's retroactive. It I'm saying it when off. it happened, it was fine. no. But no. it can't. You can't win the World Series on August first with a trade. You can't. It doesn't matter though, because I'm saying that even if you say looking back at you know August 31st and you made this trade and in a vacuum, yeah, that you know it didn't really make that much sense because you paid too much. But then you won the World Series. I'm saying no one cares anymore. Not that it still wasn't a good trade. I'm saying no one cares. Right. We it, hold it on. It, we were just talking less meaningful. Yeah, we were just talking about the Royals. Yes. We were talking about the Royals. Yes. Do you think they would give anything back? Because who they acquire that season? Like James the Shields? Johnny Cueto. Or Johnny Cueto. Shields in 14, Cueto in 15. Do you think they look at that Cueto deal and say, man, I can't believe what we gave up to get Cueto? I would totally just well, no, undo none that None of that turned out to be jack crap. They could have traded it for something They gave up a lot, they gave up a lot of pitching. But it has it's Cincinnati. Do, but I'm saying, do you think do you think they even think about that after they won the World Series? God no, 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 they don't. So go win the World Series. It doesn't I'll matter. What you there are but, like but, people who do though. But that's yeah, but that's there, not. There are a couple idiots like Ryan in Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have brethren everywhere. Um, but no, but you understand what you're saying. That doesn't make the deal good. Oh no, I totally understand what I'm saying. It. I would rather win a World Series than say but you can't they got great that. value. But you can't guarantee that. Well, okay. But you can't guarantee it. You but cannot guarantee yes, that you will, making a move will... You will always make a trade before the postseason and when you have the ability to win the World Series. You always have to make those trades before that. Yes. So what you're saying is never make a trade because it could be a bad deal... And no, then regardless never, of what happens never afterwards. Make a trade in which you're obviously not winning the deal. Yes. You have to win because regardless if you win of what the happens. Deal in, if you win the deal in late July and then you win the World Series, then you get both things and that's awesome. Right. That's I would good. I would rather take the World Series and give up whatever to do it. But so, if you anyways. give up whatever, you don't necessarily win the World Series. That's the point. You can't guarantee you're going to oh win the World God, Series. Oh my God, shut up. <laughs> we've this is this is the closest you can get to the phone calls between me and steve that like, like i was like i've actually been watching steve's face and he's almost sworn like at least five or six times this is people are getting the the real deal here finally it took almost a year worth of podcast for people to get like the full-on experience well anyways i think we should we should start a movement where we encourage the brewers front office to buy chris davis's contract and pay it off to get Manny Machado. Yes. Absolutely. We all agree with, that with, that would be fantastic. And, like, and then everyone has to do, like, you're guaranteed to be able to put money in for a 50-50 raffle and yeah. well paid off. Yeah. You know what? Every 50-50 raffle they do, they can keep the other 50% too. Everybody <laughs> Look, will just know more charity. I, Nobody really yeah, cares anyway. If, <laughs> well, you know what? It doesn't matter how many 50-50 raffles they do. If you write out a $100 million check, they aren't going to pay off that much of it. So if you want to no. keep an extra couple bucks from that, that's fine. So well, right now, we're got, all going to start telling. Foxconn they can get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this, the, the state, they'll throw in a couple bucks. They'll, they'll do that for stupid causes. So. Um, Anyways, yeah, so everybody get online, start bugging Mark Ananasio, write that check, buy Chris Davis's contract, get Manny Machado, let's go win a World Series this season, right? We good with that? I bet you, I wonder if you could do it by saying that you would take Adam Jones's contract. But Jones is still good, kind of ish. Well, the whole point of it is just pay the money to get, you know, that off the books for the Orioles. Right, but I mean, I'm saying they could deal Adam Jones in a separate deal and actually get value back for him because he's still kind of goodish. Yeah, but that's not as much fun as what we were talking about before. No, so, so that's why anyways, the, the Chris we have Davis deal makes uh, Milwaukee uh, math prof on Twitter asks, uh, I know he's not ours anymore, but are you surprised? Lewis Brinson has sucked this bad, and he feels bad for the kid. I mean, I'm not shocked because this was kind of Keith Law was big on this, that it was going to take, he thought it was going to take Brinson time to acclimate to the big leagues. And we saw him struggle last year. And he's not playing well enough to even really acclimate. Right. It's If the Marlins weren't a disaster, he would not be in the major leagues. You wouldn't think so, no. 
But that's the point is that, so I'm not shocked to see him. Maybe this degree, hey, I bet the under, and he does still have 10 home runs. So, like, I think he's, like, even up with the Yelich prop, in terms of The home prop run. bet, yeah. the prop <laughs> bet, he is still, Brinson's still leading in the prop bet. Damn right. So, yeah, keep that in mind. So, JP, are you surprised to see him struggle to this degree for this long? Yes. I think I I wouldn't have been surprised to see him hit, you know, 230-ish with, uh, with a crap ton of homers. But, man, not taking very many walks, hitting a buck 70. Like, that's – I am surprised to see him, you know, perform this poorly thus far. Um and I agree. I, I actually do feel badly for him. Um, and I feel badly for him because, of, you know, we talked about it before because of the dumbass all-star push that Dan Levitard's been pushing out. Um, I feel bad for him. But I think it's also an opportunity for for him to continue, you know, grinding after after the all-star break. You know, a lot of people just mentally are saying, OK, it's a new start. Like, get get, get a good second half going, kind of move it forward going that way. Um, and it really does seem that the Marlins are committed to him. And I think they have to be not just because of, you know, PR wise, you, you trade this guy for, you know, a headliner for Christian Yelich and you have to make it work. But for the organization to get back to contention as quickly as possible, they need Lewis Brinson to work out. Um, and so I think that he's going to continue to get time. But I will say, and I don't know if I've said this on the podcast uh, before, but um, after the Yelich trade, I actually was talking to somebody um in a big league uh, team that's not the Brewers, that they were actually saying they really liked the deal for the Brewers because everybody that the Brewers gave up had such huge hit tool question marks that they were like all three of those players could just flame out and be nothing. Um, and I think and Harrison is Harrison and Diaz have both struggled this year. Yeah, too. yeah. And that's not to say that you know obviously there is still a lot of people there are still a lot of people that are like and and you know this guy was one of them in which are like obviously the upside is there obviously I understand why the team was able to do it uh, but he was saying if you are the Brewers you gave up three guys that have such high volatility that they could be nothing and you got Kristen Yelich who was a monster it's a clear he was like you guys clearly should have done that trade you know seven days a week. Yeah, even though there's a little, I think everybody kind of caught their breath a little bit when they saw the entire package that went. Yeah, I mean, but it was. Oh, don't it was say yeah. Price. Don't say yeah. It was market price. Don't say it like that. You of all people, I was with it for the from the beginning. I was fine with it. You barely held it together, though. No, I was fine with it. <laughs> barely, <laughs> I was fine with it because I think he was, you were, he was reading the tweets and he was like. Find another player? You were fine when it was Brinson and I think Diaz. And then when Harrison got slipped in as the third guy. That's... No, Harris, it was Brinson and Harrison, and Diaz was the guy who got slipped in. Uh, I think you the saw the other The fact that you first. remember that lets yeah. me know that you weren't concerned. You were paying you were attention. Concerned about it. it hurt a little bit. You I, but but I will say to be to be fair to to be fair to Ryan, he has been consistently on it and saying that he thought it was a good deal. Yeah. How much is uh, Keston Hira hitting the heck out of the ball helped uh, cushion the loss of Diaz, who I think everybody kind of saw as another potential piece, at least? A lot. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think Keston, Keston Hira was somebody that could fast track ahead of Diaz no matter what. And obviously, you know, to your point, the fact that he has hit well does make it better. But like the the entire... Not to rehash the trades again, but even though they gave up supreme talent to be able to do it, you know, three guys that have either been top 100 prospects or have the capability to be top 100 prospects to be, you know, solid first division starters, if not more, if everything clicks. You're still looking at they gave up guys that they didn't need anymore for center field once they signed Lorenzo Cain. Like, they don't need they don't need a center fielder for the better part of what three four years uh five years if everything works out and he's able to stay healthy and with keston Hira, they made the gamble that actually that's a second base prospect that we actually like better than than isan diaz that we are more confident that he can speed to the the big leagues and make it ahead of him and i think thus far they've been able to they've been right on that um so i think kudos to them to be able to say that they gave up talent but they gave it up in the right places 
Okay. Well, that's going to do it for the show this week. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast coming out in a week-ish. Yeah. A week. We'll maybe this week. Maybe next. Yeah. So what you do is you subscribe, and then you'll be surprised when it comes in. When you can go through the backlog. There's four or five? Five episodes. Uh, it started in February. So whatever the number is. Yeah. It's five episodes. Yeah. Um, as always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store and whatever other podcast app you like to use. Uh, you can leave reviews, help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.